You know, I enjoy meeting with you guys during the week. Something's wrong if we're trying to pastor and disciple and have those kind of relationships and we don't know each other, right? Like, I need to know that Brother Curtis has a nickname for me. I need to know that. <laughs> What's that nickname, Curtis? Come on, it's okay. You can tell him. White chocolate. White chocolate? What do you think about that, Jim? Jim says she thinks of me more like a macadamia nut. Curtis. I think it means full of cholesterol. <laughs> I need to know who you are. You need to know who I am. This is how the kingdom gets formed in us. And I love you for it. It is such a neat thing to see the way that God's kingdom expresses itself through your life. And in this church, we preach a hard word because Jesus preached a hard word. But you know what? It's taking root in us. It's Amen. growing in us. Amen. And you can see it. And that's a beautiful thing. Are you all in Haggai? Yes. Okay, there's a fancy theological word for what happens in the book of Haggai. They call this a post-exilic prophet. What this means is that Israel went into captivity in Babylon in 586 B.C. They began coming out in waves. One of those waves was in 520 B.C., coming back to their own land. By 516 B.C., they had a temple again. Have you ever been in a place you didn't want to go and didn't know how to get back to where you used to be? It's a funny thing. If you ask people to, to graph their spiritual walk, they always place themselves, almost always, lower today than they were at some point in the past. The devil has a way of telling you you're not quite where you should be with the Lord. He begins to beat down upon you. You know that it's God when he says you can get there. You know that it's the devil when he says it's not worth trying. Amen. Right? That's the difference between condemnation and conviction. Well, these prophets, there are three of them. They were post-exilic. Uh, the first one, Haggai, he began to work with a man named Zechariah. And they began to prophesy about Israel's future and a hope. Ezra and Nehemiah began to get together uh, to form a government, to form a, a nation with walls that could again begin to honor God in the land they were always intended to live in. And the last of them was Malachi, uh, the last book uh, of the Older Testament, who began to prophesy not only about the coming of the Lord, but about the completing of all of these things. And Malachi was about a hundred years after Haggai. So do you have kind of an idea? Haggai falls after Jeremiah, after Ezekiel, after Daniel, but before the book of Matthew, obviously. It's a time in Israel's history where they've experienced an extreme chastening. Now, nobody in here ever got beat up on uh, because we did something wrong. Huh? Nobody in here knows what it is to be further from the Lord than they wanted to be. That's a good thing because, I mean, it'd be a real shame if I had a word that addressed your life, right? I mean, we're always okay in church as long as we're preaching about somebody's life out there, you know? We can all jump up and down and say, Amen, Pastor, Amen, as long as we're not talking about you. But if we talk about you, then, you know, we squirm a little bit. We maybe eat more pastor than fried chicken after church, you know? That's the way this works. What kind of pastor would we be if we didn't bring a word that addressed you? Am I the only one in here that sometimes feels like the former years were glorious and something's happened and that glory slipped away? Am I the only one ever feels that? Yeah. David, you, you're one brave guy in the back row, the furthest from me, that, that raised the hand. Is there anybody else that feels that say, yes, pastor? Yeah. Okay, now we're going to pretend that you still have the power of speech. We're going to pretend that I'm not a sage on a stage 
that this is not your job just to sit and soak, but that you'll participate with me in this family meeting tonight. That'd be okay? Okay, in the book of Haggai, we in the 520th year BC, his name in Hebrew means festival. Come on now, what do you think your mama was thinking if she named you party? <laughs> that could cause some questions about the night of your conception, couldn't it? <laughs> How did we get here? But I think that God named this man party or festival because there's a reminder in his life. His name would be like a function. The festivals in Israel remind them God still had a plan for them. Every year when Passover came by in the first month of the year, there was a reminder you were once in death and now God has brought you to life. How many of us need to be reminded of these kind of things in our lives? You were once in death and now you're in life. So as bad as it might be right now, it's got to be better than it used to be. Amen. Come on. So Haggai's name is a reminder. And check this out. Not very many dates can we nail down in the scripture. But in the first verse, in the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month. Now their months were a little different. And their sixth month is called Ul. E-L-U-L. Ul. But if it was our sixth month, what month would that be? June. June. It would be right now. Come on now, do you want a word for now or do you want a word that you're supposed to apply last year? Right now. It'd be too late. We want one for right now. We need today's fresh bread. Well, this is for the month of June, my friends. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty said. These people say, the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. The prophet Daniel had said it would be 70 years we'd be in captivity. And then there would be an issuing of a decree to rebuild the temple. Most people think that came under Artaxerxes Longimanus II. I know you have that written on the inside cover of your Bible, right? So in this history lesson, you need to know that he has already reigned. He has already issued a decree to build the temple. Ezra and Nehemiah have gone out to begin to establish the people in the land. And now that they've gotten there, they're no longer in bondage. They're no longer where they used to be. But they're not quite where they need to be yet. And they did something that we all kind of do. Come on, am I the only one in here that was ever in the principal's office going, Oh God, if you can get me out of here, I will serve you. Some of us Some of us might not have just been in the principal's office Where we might have been You might have been On the bathroom floor In a prison cell You might have been In a parking lot The day after You might have been at a car crash A hospital room You might have been somewhere And you just said Lord If you could get me out of here and he did. You know how I know he did? Because you're here. Now the question is not are you there. The question is, is here the end of the journey? See, because the people got out of their prisons in Babylon. They got out of the Medo-Persian Empire. They stretched forward and they got to the land that God told them to be in. And they said, okay, we'll rest on our laurels. This is what happens with Christians. They say, oh, I've been passed from death to life. Jesus is my Savior, that's my King, like the, like the video said. But then they rest where He brought them.
Come on, friends. I didn't want to get right outside Egypt and stop in the desert. I didn't want to get right on the other side of the Red Sea and then just set up camp. I didn't want to get just on the inside of Jericho and say, that's far enough. I'll be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. I know you've heard people talk like that, but they were cowards. They're shrinkers. They're those that can never please God because the heart of God says, I want to go all the way with you. I want to go as far as there is to go. There's still a giant left to kill. Hand me his head. I want to work for you, Lord. Is there anybody in the house of the Lord tonight that wants to work for him? Now, sometimes we want to do things for the Lord, but we don't know where. We don't know how. We don't know when to get started. So God sends us a prophet. And the prophet says, where you are is good. It's about halfway where I called you to be, but there is work left to do. And our human nature says, no, no, no. Remember, I came out. I went far enough. I mean, I'm not where I used to be. The real question is to begin to examine our heart and say, does your life bear witness with the blessing of the Lord? Or is the Lord putting little briars in your life? Is he letting you know through your daily frustration? Is he letting you know that this is not yet the promise that he told you you would receive? Amen. Come on now, that lets me know i got a ways to go. You know why? My hair is still falling out. My body's still getting older. My days sometimes are filled with frustration. The work is not done yet. So then the question is, Lord, what do you want? In verse 2, this is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in paddled houses while my house remains in ruin? Friends, you may not realize it, but the church today is in ruin. They have told us that if we had Learjets, we were blessed. They have told us that if our, our suits looked a certain way, it was a sign of God's blessing. They've told us that if they could fill a stadium full of people, it was God's blessing. But you know what? The sick are not being healed. People are not being delivered. They're going to church and being mildly entertained and living exactly the same way on Monday that they did on Saturday. Sin is being preached about, but never the sin of the people being addressed. And we have been lulled to sleep. Amen. The church lies in ruin. We've never had bigger buildings. We've never had more attendance because there's more people on the planet. But we have never let, had less demonstration of the Spirit's power. I just with all of my heart want to see the church rise to the glory that God's called it to be. Haggai gives us a description. It was true 2,532 years ago, and it is true this year. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Are y'all ready for a part of the word that hurts? Is it okay? I mean, are you going to go to the doctor tomorrow and say, I want you to diagnose my neighbor? Are you going to go to the doctor tomorrow to tell him what's wrong with you and get a solution? Do you go to the doctor for your neighbor or do you go to the doctor for you? Come on then. We're not going to go to church for our neighbor. We're going to go to church to hear what God's word is for us. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but you have harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. 
Sounds like he's saying you see all the movies you can, but you're not yet fulfilled. You eat all the food you can find, but you're not yet fulfilled. You go fellowship all you can in all the ways that you can, but you still don't feel connected. Has there ever been a nation of consumers like this nation? There's nothing left that we produce. There's very few jobs that produce anything anymore. Our job and our economy is mostly to consume. And when we go to church, we don't produce anything. We don't contribute anything. We come to consume. We come to say, what does the pastor have for me that I can eat? What are the children's programs for my children? What is in it for me? And we have a selfish nation of consumers. And God said, I need you to consider the state of my house. The gospel calls us to look to the needs of the other before we look to our own. The gospel calls us to consider the life God says we're to live instead of the one that we're living. The gospel always causes you to look in the mirror and see you, not everyone else. So the question is, are you satisfied? Are you fully fulfilled in the Lord? Do you feel like you're his man of power for the hour? Do you feel like you are his princess, his royal diadem? Do you know that you know that I am in the center of his will and nothing removes me from his hand? Or do you feel like maybe once you had that experience, but now somehow life has become hollow? Once you had that experience, but now somehow, some way, you've been dragged away from it and don't know how to get back. I have a sneaking suspicion. That even in a remnant special forces kind of church like ours is, that feeling's all too prevalent. So God's prophet gives us a prescription to a nation of consumers. By the way, if they were a nation of consumers, by comparison, what do you think we are? Come on now, these people memorized the word of God. They fasted regularly. They kept the feast. They tried to obey the law. What do we do? Well, we mostly look for more and more and more and more entertainment. If Brother Wade was right when he preached Sunday, he quoted Barna. And Barna said the average adult, not child, adult in the United States is spending at least four hours in media of some kind, mostly TV, every day. Come on now. Anybody in here spend 40 minutes a day in the Word? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand because if it was only one or two of you, the rest of us would just be embarrassed. How long does it take you to watch your favorite sitcom? I mean, even if you TiVo it and you fast forward through the commercials, right? I didn't say TiVo it, Spence. I said TiVo it. <laughs> How long does it take? Do we spend more time invested in our entertainment than we do our edification? Do we spend more time seeking after anything that could possibly make us happy other than the one thing that God said was designed to make you happy. You don't have to answer me, church. I know what the answer is. I know because I'm guilty of the same thing you are. This vanity fair around us, this, with all of its attractions, it pulls at us all. It says, if you go get the right pedicure than that, you'll feel great about yourself. Probably not you, Leslie. Probably not, not you, the pedicure. But it says, Brandon, if you just get the right CD today, You'll feel good about yourself. Cody, if you can find the right automobile, you'll feel good about yourself. 
if you can get a house in the right neighborhood, a job at the right place. It says if you can build an American dream, then your dreams will be fulfilled. I want you to look around, friends. Is it working? It's not. It's not. How many people on the interstate in this morning stopped in traffic look happy to you? I tell you, tomorrow, just as an experiment, smile at somebody and wave. See if you don't get a one-finger salute. Then look for the Christian bumper sticker. Look for the Bible on the dash. The ichthus on the car they bought and didn't know what it was. We're Pisces. <laughs> yeah, this is where we live. We live in the land of superficial behavior. And our religion has become the same way. So the prophet Haggai tells us something. In verse 7, this is what the Lord Almighty says, give careful thought to your ways. That's the second time he said it, friends. Do you think we have a tendency to skip over our own ways? Go up to the mountains and bring down timber and build the house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. What in our day was set aside so that we could say, Lord, I want to honor you today. I will go cut something down. I will go carry something. I will expend myself to climb that mountain and obtain something and bring it back down for no other reason than your glory. We want to know why we feel hollow, why our lives are frustrated. We live our lives for us first. Everyone else second. Jesus has become a part of our life, but he is not all of our life. He's one of many right things that we know. But he is not the embodiment of all that we know. The prophet began to tell them, take your eyes off of yourself. Do the difficult for my name's sake, that I could take pleasure in it. Now, does the scripture say that God lives in a little box? No. No. Does the scripture say God lives in a little box? No. Come on now, does the scripture say God lives in a little box? No. Then why would he take pleasure in it? Because you did something that was selfless. You did something that showed you believe he exists in your situation. You did something that showed trust in him. Come on. You honored him. You think God needs your money? That's hilarious. Now, the preacher will do his best to convince you God needs your money. The preacher needs your money. God doesn't need it at all. Yeah, <laughs> amen. I was never so happy when one of the elders in the church in a budget meeting slipped and said, God doesn't have a budget. Because I personally have a little problem fulfilling the budget. We're at about 3,000% of our mission's budget at the moment, you know? God is not interested in accumulating wealth. He is interested in accumulating your heart. And he knows that he does not have your heart if all of your investment is in everything else. He knows that if your time goes somewhere else. Ladies, have you ever spelled love? T-I-M-E? <laughs> My wife says, I just want you to spend time with me. I'm like, honey, we've been spending time together all day. I've been in the same room with you all day. But that's not what she meant because while I was in the same room with her all day, my mind was somewhere else. We say, Lord, you have my life, but our mind is everywhere else. Lord, you have my life, but our finances are everywhere else. Lord, you have my life, but all of my attraction and my interest is for everything except you. And you ask that person, you, how's your walk with the Lord? 
oh, well, Jesus and I are good, but, you know, I, I don't go to church. <laughs> or I go to church, but, you know, I mean, I go on Sunday and pass, I'm good. I tithe, pass, I'm good. What is the bare minimum, Pastor, I have to do to get out of this conversation and still feel like a champion? Because that's all I really want here. Of course, you don't feel like a champion, do you? You don't feel like you've achieved something for God. You don't feel like heaven is happy with me. Come on now, say that. Heaven is happy with me. Wouldn't that feel good? Wouldn't it feel good to feel like the God of the universe was pleased with you? Because it's obtainable. All we have to do is do what he says. He says, stop doing what you want to do. Get up that mountain and go cut down a tree and bring something back to my house. Expend yourself. Look at verse 9. You expected much. But see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty? Because my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with his own house. When you sit back and you think about this week, how much time did you spend thinking about God's kingdom and how you would advance it? But the gospel clearly declares, clearly declares, that the man who wants to save his life will lose it. And the man who loses his life for Jesus' sake will find it. Why do we think we can spend all of our time trying to find out how to gratify ourselves and we're going to succeed? Has it worked for anyone? Did you ever read the parable of rich man and Lazarus? The rich man spent all of his wealth on himself. He did everything that he could do for himself. Not only is he not happy in the next life, I bet he was not happy in the last life. Have you ever met really wealthy people? I mean, there aren't any in here. So have you ever met really wealthy people? I never met one that was happy, ever. Did you know by the world standards you are the wealthy people of the world? If there were 100 people in this room, these 100 people represented every nation of the world, you're in the top 2%. Anybody in here come in a car today? Any families come in two cars? Right? Because, I mean, we couldn't carpool. How many of you own a lawnmower? Raise your hand if you own a lawnmower. You can raise your hand for this one. Do you think you live next to somebody that owns a lawnmower? Why do we do things like that? Well, we don't want to be inconvenienced. What if once every seven years, the neighbor wants to use the same lawnmower as I own at the same time? That'd be a problem. We better both own one, right? You think we're a nation of consumers? We are. We are, and it's corrupted our Christianity. God says he blew away their stuff. <laughs> Preachers get in trouble if they say a hurricane came from God. <laughs> but God said, I blew it away. Come on now. That's like Dirty Harry. I blew it away. <laughs> what happened to your success? What happened to all of your happiness? God blew it away. Why did he blow it away? Because it was hollow in the first place, and he wants you to forsake that goal for a more worthy goal. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house which remains in ruin while each of you is busy with his own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought. God called for a drought. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands in this when I know. How many of you, when you pray, you feel like you hit a brick wall? You feel like there's a wall between you and the heavens. You can't remember the last time you really heard from God. You're like, well, what does it mean to hear from God? In fact, pastor, would you hear from God for me? Do I turn left or do I turn right? Pastor won't tell me, will you tell? Will you tell? 
Is there a church somewhere that will just tell me what I should do? Of course, that would replace God in your life, wouldn't it? That would replace a relationship with a dry and dead religion. And how could anybody else know what God wants you to do? If He designed you, don't you think He knows what you should be doing? The drought, friends, is not a drought in our day of water. We're the only nation in the world that can throw away three-quarter full bottled water. It's so plentiful for us, we shower in it for 45 minutes in the morning. But you can go six hours south of us, and children are dying without clean water. We frolic in it. We go swim in it. We go laying in it in our bathtubs. And you know what? I've seen children this age drinking out of a ditch with motor oil. Many of you have been to Mexico with me and seen the very same children. What do we have a drought of? The power and presence of God. And it's failed to get our attention. We're like Samson. We've fallen asleep in the lap of our delights. The Philistines are upon us, about to put our eyes out. Our strength is gone. and We don't notice because we've been too busy with everything we thought we wanted. Give careful thought to our ways. How's it turning out for us? So you got the new best cable package, right? We're not at the basic cable. They say it's $49 a month. Boy, do they lie, right? Yeah. It ends up $78 a month. And, and you're thinking, you know, but if we just had Animal Planet for the kids and we just have, so now we're at one thirty a month, right? And I don't know. We just, there's nothing on TV anymore. Blockbuster's closed down and I've seen everything on Netflix. So for two thirty a month, I, now i got all the movie channels, including those ones that you would never want your kids to see. And the devil shows up on this box that you're paying $230 a month for. And he makes faces at you and laughs at you. And we just think, oh, I don't notice that. I look the other way. And we wonder why we're not happy. And then we, what's a movie cost these days? Ten bucks? Ten bucks a ticket? Is that about right? Y'all tell me. I hadn't been. Tell me. Ten bucks a month. So now Matthew and me and Cassie and Jennifer and how many kids we got between us? About 700. We, we go to the movies, all of us, because if we could just see that movie, we'd, we'd be entertained, you know? We'd feel good. We could relax and not have enough because there's not enough leisure time in our lives. Of course, when we leave the movie, our kids have learned some words we don't want them to know. We had to cover their eyes a couple of times. And, of course, nobody covered our eyes. But we don't know why we're not happy. Could it be that everything in the world has become more important to us than the one thing that should matter? What is God's will for my life today? Is there a mountain I can climb for Him today? Is there a tree I can cut down for Him today? Is there something I can bring into His house today? I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain and the new wine and the oil and whatever the ground produces on men and cattle and on the labor of your hands. How many of you love to go to work? Raise your hands if you love your job. Christians in here. Do you find work frustrating? Yes. Like one wise elder in this church said, son, if it was fun every day, they wouldn't pay you to do it. Yeah. <laughs> when there's an unnatural frustration in our day, when we cannot find joy in our day because it feels like everything is against us. What is the first thing that the living God said to Paul while he was on his way to Damascus? Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He goes on to tell him you kick against the goats. 
What were the goals? What did they look like? How many times did Saul try to book that trip to Damascus to go mess with the Christians and inexplicably they lost his itinerary? How many times did he go to rent his car and when he got there, it wasn't there? How many times did he experience unnatural frustration in his day but never consider God was trying to turn him around? Trying to get his eyes off what he thought he needed to do and onto the source of direction for our lives. Sometimes our days are filled with an unnatural frustration because God's trying to get our attention. Come on, has that ever been the case for anyone in the room? Because it is me. Now, because I'm a crazy, charismatic, or Pentecostal, or I don't know what they call us these days, I'd like to just be a sincere Christian. You know what I do when I feel that frustration? I say, oh, that's the devil, and I'm going to fight right through it. <laughs> or sometimes it's not the devil, and it won't go away, and I find myself fighting with God, who is trying to change my direction. If your day is frustrating because you're fighting with the devil, you need to tap into the source of the living God, because Jesus fought with him at every turn, every day, and he was in perfect peace. He's even called the Prince of Peace. I suspect some of our frustration is we do not recognize God's chastening when it is happening to us. If we're charismatic, we call it the devil. If we're just plain old worldly, we call it the world or Murphy's Law or whatever we might call it. But we're slow to realize heaven is trying to get our attention. God is against a self-centered life. And a self-centered life will never hear from heaven. You want to get God's attention? Begin focusing on other people. Begin looking for something that you can do for someone else. Anybody here ever had somebody buy them a meal? Man, that is a good feeling, especially if you're hungry. Mm -hmm. You ever been at the table with somebody and you just realized, we're at a restaurant that costs a little more than I think I have. <laughs> wow. I hope when they invited me, <laughs> they were planning on paying for this. See some chuckles in the room. You've been at the same table I've been at, right? I got two grandmas. And I got one little grandma that spent her life cutting hair, right? And I mean, she just, she's just a sweet old lady. And every time you see her, you know, she's like, oh, honey, it's so good to see you. And she's trying to shove three or four dollars in your pocket, right? It's her tip money. That's just what she does. She's always done it. I don't know. Her social security checks probably $400 a month, but she must get it once. Because she's always trying to shove it down, down your shirt. I got another side of the family, though. And uh, I stopped by one time and said, Hey, Grandma, I hadn't seen you in, I don't know, 15 years. So I thought, I thought maybe I'd take you to, to dinner or something. She said, Great. I said, Well, I, I don't know where to go. I mean, I've never been in Houston before. Uh, can you suggest a place? She did. It was Taste of Texas. And while we were sitting there, and I saw that a steak was $58, and I began to count the people at the table, I began to get a little nervous. And if it had not been for the few extra dollars that the other grandma had shoved in my pocket when I visited her, I never would have got out of the restaurant. Do you think sometimes we live self-centered lives? God cannot bless those kind of lives. You want to hear from Him. Get your eyes on what His eyes are on. Ask him, what can I do for you today? What would show you that you are my Lord and I am your servant and that I understand our relationship? 
Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord, their God, and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord, their God, had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. Why do we not obey the Lord? We don't fear him. You have heard that God is love. You have heard that God is grace. You have heard that you are a champion and that maybe your most God-awful sin is just not God's best for you and we have been stupid enough to believe what we have heard. The truth is He is a righteous God. The truth is that our sin makes us monsters in His presence. But the good news is His gospel will take a monster and make them a saint. He will take you from the most vile, miry clay that has tried to cover and define your life and He will raise you to the King's palace if only we acknowledge that our ways are not His ways and that we want Him, not once in the past at an altar for a few minutes, but every day. I made a promise at an altar with Jennifer 19 years ago. I promised that for better or for worse, I promised that through thick and thin, and boy, I didn't know what that meant. <laughs> I promised that no matter what, forever, we were in an eternal covenant. Was that a good promise? Yeah. If that was the only time I kept that promise, what would it mean? Nothing. It would be lip service, but my deeds would prove that it wasn't true. Jennifer and I might even have a formalized relationship with a baptismal certificate. I'm in a marriage license on the wall. But we wouldn't really have a relationship with them. This is where most of the people who call themselves the body of Christ are. I mean, we know about God. We know enough about Him to effectively argue that we're okay when our heart says we're not. We know enough about Him to be completely uncomfortable during worship and excuse it. Right? Maybe it was just that J.J. broke his throat. That's why I was squirting during worship. Maybe it's that it was hot in here. It couldn't be that I know my heart is not at rest in His presence because I'm not right with Him. And then one is the first thing that goes through our mind if we consider getting right with Him. What would those people think? Woe unto you when all men speak well of you. This is what Jesus said. Woe unto you if everyone you meet loves you. Now, today I'm not going to comment on all the world leaders. Well, just pick one. The news media comes out and just loves when the Pope visits. That enough are to be right there to cause you some concern. If the whole world goes out in mass and says this person is one, did they do that to Jesus? Well, if you are just like Jesus, why don't they treat you like Jesus? Now let's not talk about the Pope. How friendly are you with the world? How friendly are they with you? Do all your neighbors love you? Do all the people in your workplace love you? Everywhere you go, do they speak wonderful things about you? Could it be that you have not been honest with them about your true feelings? Could it be that you did not stand up enough for the Lord? That their feelings about the Lord fall on you? i got to tell you, there have been many years in my life I laughed at jokes that I never should have laughed at because I didn't want to make them uncomfortable. But what does that mean about me and the Lord? Because the Bible says friendship with the world is warfare or enmity towards God. These people heard Him. They heard the word of the Lord because they feared the Lord. They knew He meant business. Look at verse 13. 
Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares Yahweh. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord. Why does the spirit of the Lord stir up his people? He stirs you to action. He stirs you to work. Now look, we are a crazy charismatic church and maybe during worship you felt that, Woo! right? That's fantastic. You and the Blues Brothers, right? Maybe we could do vaulting down the center of the aisle because you felt stirred up in the Lord. What good is that if it does not show up in our life tomorrow? Come on, when the Spirit of the Lord stirs the human heart, you're never happy with the way that you used to live. You say, oh, I know, Pastor, I was saved. I'm not talking, I'm talking about being saved every day. I'm talking about not being satisfied to be in the land, but not have the Lord's temple look like it should look. I'm talking about going all the way and not being comfortable along the way. Come on now. If the Lord stirred your heart, what would it look like? Well, if Jesus was sitting next to you right now, and we're going to pull out your little planner that he's been keeping for you called the Book of Life. And we see that your name's in the Book of Life. And he says, now you must give an account to me for every action done in the body, whether good or bad, every idle word. What are we wishing wasn't on the list that you did yesterday? Well, that's one thought, isn't it? What will we not be proud of when he pulls out that book? You know what the other thought is? What were those actions that he prepared for you to do? That he designed for you to do? But we've said, today's not the day to build the Lord's house, you know? I got other stuff to do. I need to get my 401k right. I know, look, when I make a little more money, then I will. When I get settled in my own house, then I will. When my kids are a certain age, then I will. How long is the Lord's will an option to us? See, we focus on what we did that we shouldn't do, but I'm more focused on what we're not doing that we should be doing. Are you hearing me? I think the church has tried to be holy by saying, we don't smoke, we don't drink, we don't do all kinds of things. Well, great, neither do Mormons, neither do Jehovah's Witness, neither do most nations of Islam, neither do a lot of Buddhists that I've met, neither do lots and lots of people. What's that have to do with holiness? Especially if a lot of your don'ts, Jesus did. You know what holiness is? Holiness is if he says, go climb that mountain and cut down a tree, you say, yes, sir. You don't stand around debating. You don't go find a reason that you should stand there a little longer. Amen. You don't do anything other than what he said because you know he's the Lord and you fear him and serve him in holiness. You don't wait at an altar call to see who else goes. You don't wait until there's no, oh my God, he's going to call my name. You go because God's got your name. Amen. Amen. question. Does the heavens, are the heavens calling you out tonight? They were stirred up on the 24th day of the sixth month. Where were you on the 24th day of the sixth month? Today it's the 27th day. Three days ago, what were you doing? Where were you at? Were you hearing the word of the Lord? Did you hear about the mind of Christ? Did you hear a message from Pastor Sutherland? What did you do with it? 
Were we just entertained by it? Was it one more rung in a religious ladder? Or did you find in it the strength and the calling to do something different in the last three days? Do you know that he who has been given much, much will be required of that person? How much have you been given? Who in here feels poor in the heavens? Who in here has not heard enough of God's word? Who in here does not have 66 books in their Bible? Why are no hands going up? Come on, girl. God brought you to a place where you will hear more of God's word. This book, it's a book that is an accessory to murder. I mean, the men who were here wrote it in their own blood, so to speak. They died for it. It's a book about a man who was torn to pieces because of his obedience to God. And what have we raised up for ourselves? Pastors who tell us that we become comfortable, rich, fat, happy when we're obedient to God. Is that really what this book teaches? No. Is it working for anybody as far as you can tell? Well, it's working for the liar on television that has prostituted himself out. Michael called them prosperity pimps, and he's right. By the way, next time somebody says, send to me $100 and God will give you $700, if it works that way, then get on the phone and ask him to send you the $100 so God can send him the $700. It doesn't work that way. They will hang up on you. They will hang up on you. You know why people do those things, though? Some is because they love the Lord and they're just trying. Most is because they're just not happy with their life and they don't know what to do. And so there's an entire ecclesiastical realm that is extorted. God is not as interested in your money as your life. He wants your life. We might be the only church I know of that if you show up every single service and you tithe 10%, I'm nowhere near satisfied with that. I'm not even close. I won't be satisfied with what we see until you can look me in the eye and say, I feel God's approval on my life. I feel heaven breathing validation into me. I'm doing the difficult, the things that I never could have accomplished without Him. And I know that He's with me. That is the abundant life. You could be at war with everybody that you know. And if you felt that way, you would be in peace. Do you want it is the question. How badly do you want it? On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you is left who saw the house in its former glory? Is there anybody in here that at one time felt very close to the Lord? Come on now. David, do you remember those days that we painted classrooms at Parkview? Man, we had the worst job. We are in there sucking up fumes. We are bored to death. But what did we do all day long? Blessed to praise the Lord. Yeah. Praise the Lord. Right? All of the comfort that's been added to your life since then. You were driving a little red ranger. You had no family. No, no married family. Right? I mean, you could scrape together a couple pennies and go buy a hot pocket. And we did that for lunch. Right? <laughs> I had some furniture in my house that I bought from a moving company. A divorce sale. Don't you love those? Had nothing. But those were rich times in our life because we had the Lord. And we knew it. Adding all of the stuff was just added confusion, friends. 
It's just added the need to maintain it. In fact, at one point I looked around and realized this prison I built for myself, a bar at a time. One more bill to pay, one more thing to maintain. Dear God, one more thing to move. Anybody moved lately? And none of it made me happy. You ever had a car that you thought was just in this type? You went and showed everybody you had you. Man, you took that thing off of the showroom floor. What was it three years later? It had McDonald's wrappers in it, you know, stains in the seat. You found out it's incredibly expensive to maintain. Now you're just thinking if I could have another one, you know? This has been our life too long, and I think the prophet Haggai is calling us out. He says, who saw the house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to be like nothing? Friends, to start over with the Lord is a hard thing. It may feel like you're humbled to the place that you have nothing. Look what he says. But now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you. Three times he says, be strong. Twice he says, I am with you. All he requires of you is to turn and care more about his house than yours. All he requires of you is daily to look to his will before your own. And then he says, be strong. I am with you. It will no longer depend upon your strength to be holy. It will no longer depend upon your strength to lead or succeed. It will depend upon him being with you. There's a companion to Haggai. You know who his contemporary was? I told you in the beginning of the message. It wasn't Malachi, but it was a man named Zechariah. Now we put this verse on shirts. They're on bumper stickers. And we live on a day of bumper sticker theology. If it's on a bumper sticker, it's true. But we have no idea where they come from or the context. A man named Zerubbabel was tasked with rebuilding God's temple. The people are going to cut down timbers. They're coming to participate. And a foundation has been laid. And a high priest named Joshua, two men anointed for the task, have endeavored to see this thing done. But as they've started, what's a foundation look like? Not much. And so the Spirit of the Lord came to them in the book of Zechariah, in the fourth chapter, in the sixth verse, and he said, It is not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. The mountains will become level ground for you. They will be removed, he said. They're crushed beneath your feet. And people will shout, God bless it, to the placing of the capstone on this temple. Because when you turn towards God's work, he turns towards you. For the first time in your life, instead of surrounded by frustration and God blowing you away, He blows into you and His strength begins to fill you. And you can say like the prophet, I am filled with God's power. Amen. Come on, my friends. Micah 3.8 says, but as for me, I am filled with God's power. He said it at a time when the nation didn't feel full of power, but he turned his face towards the Lord. And the Lord turned his face towards him. Amen. Do you feel far from God? Where is your face turned? 
Do you feel like there's a spiritual drought in your life? Well, not a lot's changed in 2,532 years. His people felt exactly the same way. This is what the word repent means. It means turn from your way. Stop trying to solve it yourself. Stop doing what you think is right and ask him what you should be doing and then do it without delay. He said, I've anointed two for the task in the fourth chapter of Zechariah. And you know what? They completed that work. This is what Haggai encouraged him when they started because it was an overwhelming task. He says in verse 5, This is what I covenanted with you when I came out of Egypt and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says in a little while. I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake the nations and the desired of all nations will come in and fill this house with glory. Whatever there is in all of the world that is worthwhile. When you allow God to shake your life, when from the heavens right on down to the earth, your life is shaken up, stirred up by the Spirit of God. And you begin to look to Him. He brings you whatever you need. Zerubbabel completed the temple. In Jesus' day, another man claimed credit for it. His name was Herod. He took Zerubbabel's work and he said, <clears throat> I approved upon it. And he named it Herod's temple. It's the one Jesus tore down, by the way, stone by stone. And in his day, it was a wonder of the world. What started in despair, what started meaningless, nothing, where the people had to scratch their head and go, is this even worth trying? God drafted in from every corner of the globe people to contribute to it, and it became a wonder of the world. What's he trying to do with your life? Could it be that he's trying to take your life from nothingness to a city on a hilltop that is the light of the world reflecting his glory? Could it be that he's trying to take you from a place where you feel like God is against you to the place where you know he is for you? Could it be that he's trying to remove the drought so that it's beginning to rain? so that you could become fertile. The rest of this chapter, he does something. He asks them in two ways. Hey, if you touch something that is clean, does it make you clean to touch it? And the priest said, no. Touching something that is clean will not make you clean. He said, if you touch something that's unclean, what happens? They said, well, you become unclean. God said, then remember your circumstances. This is a very Hebrew way of saying, spending all of your time around church language doesn't make you clean. Spending all of your time in a church doesn't make you clean. Consider your way of life. Say, but touching things that are unclean, that has made you unclean. So I've tried to get you to turn around and at first you would. He said, but now you have, so mark this day. It was the ninth month. I don't remember which day. You've got to look in your chapter. I think the 24th day. He said, you write it down. 
because this is the day the foundation is laid in your life. And I will bless you from this point forward. Come on, does a foundation need to be laid tonight? Is this the place where you turn? Is this the place where you say, look, my life hadn't gone the way that I wanted it to. And it hadn't gone the way that I wanted it to because the Lord's work was important to me, but it was never all there was to me. Jesus was important to me, but he's not the only thing that's important to me. But today I realize the only life worth living, the only hope that I have is for him to be everything to me. Because he will lay a foundation in your life that becomes a wonder of the world. Instead of blowing against you, he will blow in to you. He will change your life for the glory of God. Now stand to your feet. We invited 15 people to church today. Only a couple had the courage to come. I told them all the same thing. You don't feel the witness of the Spirit in our church. If you don't feel as if God is speaking to you, I'll never ask you to come back. In fact, we should probably set up gas pumps out there. Start selling Amway or something. If you felt like the Lord dealt with your heart today, then maybe this is a divine appointment for you. Maybe He's trying to lay a foundation in your life. Something that He can build a whole. The book of Revelation calls that the foundation of the apostles. He calls you the temple of the living God. And He is coming back to shouts of God bless it, God bless it. And he is the capstone in he is the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. He is the foundation and the capstone. If you did not start with Him being everything, then your life's not built upon Him. If you don't finish with Him being everything, then He's not the completer of your life. We've called Christianity a decision at an altar, and I'm telling you it's a lie. At best, that's the beginning of a commitment to lay a foundation. Tonight, we have a chance. Say, Lord, I'll rise into the mountains. I'll cut down a tree for you. I'll do anything that you would say. I want to ask you what needs to be cut down. What is the work of God? It's to take care of widows and orphans. It's to care more about others than yourself. And it might need you to cut some things out of your life to make room for them. Cannot cram all of the commercialism in our life that we can possibly stand, and then expect that there's room for God's will to. Somewhere, somewhere, we have to say, I just want to start again with you. We're going to sing. We're going to worship. Our altars are open, as the Book of Hebrews says. This is an altar that even those in Jerusalem, in a temple that was standing at the time, he said don't have a right to eat from it. You can contact the living God in this place and get direction for your next right step. I encourage you not to be a coward. Don't stand back. Run to the altar of God. Let Him rush to meet you. 
Let his wind blow into your life that you might be refreshed. Don't wait. Don't look around. Don't wonder what they're doing. Most of the world is going to hell anyway. Jesus said it. He said the love of most will grow cold. Narrow is the way of few who find it. Lord, is it true only a few will be saved? Yes, it is as you say. Make sure you're in that number. Oh, pastor, I know I'm saved. Yeah. How is your life looking? Does your life know you're saved? Is it just a commitment a long time ago? I'm going to pray at the altar. I'm going to pray because I'm headed to the other side of the world to teach people what we teach everywhere. You're a sinner in the hands of God, but He will change you into a saint. We're here as ambassadors of His love. We brought you things to show you He cares for you. But if all we do is feed you and you walk away a sinner, you remain His enemy. We tell everybody that. But never has there been a group of people so inoculated from it as Americans. Don't be in their number. Be a citizen of the kingdom. We're going to worship and you do what you must. Mm -hmm.